0: You know, it was said that when the forerunner of Christ would come, when the Elijah would come, as he's described in Malachi, he'll turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. He'll turn their hearts from what's not important to what is most important to the family. And as we turn our hearts there today, I want us to remember in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, exactly where we're going to find our help. despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Men, fathers, look to Jesus. John the Baptist was that Elijah who would come, who would turn the hearts of the fathers back to their true priorities. We need to lay aside worldliness and every Sin, every weight, every encumbrance that keeps us from remembering what is truly important. And the key to all of this, he says, is look to Jesus. If we keep our eyes fixed in the right place, we will have results aligned memory. I call it RAM, not random access memory, results aligned memory. Look to Jesus. Keep your eye on Jesus. We've been singing about him, we've gathered around his table. The real challenge is when we leave this building to keep our minds focused on Jesus. And the word of God tells us so much about our Lord. There are so many descriptions, comparisons that are made of Jesus to things that we're familiar with. The Bible says he's like a king and he's like a priest. He is the rock, the cornerstone of which the church is built upon. He's like a, a vine that supports the branches and feeds them. He's like a loaf, the staple of life, and will never hunger or thirst if we truly come to know him. But of all the different images that are given to help us understand who Christ is, I think the most touching and heartwarming is, He is a devoted husband. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25, husbands, love your wives as as Christ loved the church. Jesus is our role model. When you think about a model, you're thinking about something that is worthy of imitation. So if we have a model citizen, well, he's a patriot, He uh, obeys the laws. He's interested and volunteers in his community. If you have a model student, uh, boys and girls, a model student is someone who obeys the teacher, who listens and is engaged in the lesson, does his or her homework. So when we think about this idea of model, it means that Someone is worthy of imitation because their example is commendable. You will be made better if you follow this person's example. Look to Jesus. You will be made better in every part of your life, including your married life. So as we think about looking to Jesus... I believe everything that Jesus did was deliberate. That when you read in the pages of scripture, whatever he's doing, you have ready-made lessons for your life. That he was not only one who preached the word, he was the word. He not only told the way, he showed the way. He was the way. And so you start looking at the life of Jesus and you see this. For example... I think about the birth of Jesus. Do you think it's an accident that he was born in Bethlehem? Now we know it was prophesied, but could it have been just any other town? Or is there some significance here that he was born not in a mansion, but in a manger, placed in a manger? Is there something significant about him being born not in imperial Rome or proud Jerusalem, but instead in the house of bread, Bethlehem, that his first guests were not kings or or, or nobles, but shepherds in the field. First guests. It looks to me like the facts surrounding Jesus' birth are messages. that They tell us that God's son did not come into this world just to enjoy its amenities. But instead, he was here on a mission. And he would not be distracted by either the cares, the riches, or the pleasures of this world. And I think that's an example for us. When we look at Jesus in his infancy, I would say, well, let's look at a marriage in its infancy. And as a couple is starting out in life, do you think it's important for them to stake out their values? You know, what are we about? Are we going to live a life of acquisition or a life of contribution? Are we just going to pile up money and just live for vacations and elaborate living? These things have a place. But how much better if a man and woman say, as they're planning their home, and from the very outset, we will seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all, all the rest, well, that will be added unto us. We've got a priority. You know, I look at other things like the, uh, the baptism of Jesus. When Jesus comes to be baptized by a man, a mortal man, a sinful man. And for those of you who are familiar with it, this it's almost like a creek, the Jordan River to us. But this muddy river, it's a strange circumstance. In fact, John thought it was peculiar, didn't he? I mean, it was kind of awkward. I need to be baptized by you, what are you doing coming to be baptized by me? And what John may not have realized at the moment was that this was a supreme teaching opportunity. That Jesus was modeling, modeling something. A commitment to God's will to fulfill all righteousness and to humble himself. You know, most of the problems that threaten your happy home will be rooted in selfishness. And if we would go back and remember our baptisms, when we died to self and devoted ourselves to God's will, I think our homes would be blessed and we would be blessed. We need that humility, you know because humility opens us up to correction, opens us up to counsel it's the starting place of learning and growth that's where it all starts and I look at this example of Jesus of this importance of humility and obedience to God. I think it was an example same thing's true with his uh, his temptation. Uh, I don't believe that was just some epic struggle. I believe that he was giving us a crash crash course in how we can handle our sinful urges. What do you do? It's a time of danger when you're tempted, but it's also a time of opportunity. If we can focus on God's will and God's word, that's what Jesus did. If we can turn from uh, our sensual desires to our spiritual priorities. If we can think long-term, long-term interests instead of short-term desires, then we can begin to be blessed. So we go to God's word. We believe it has the solution to every problem we face and that to find a healthy, God-honoring answer, you go to the word. That's what we do. We do it as a church, but we do it as individuals in our marriages. Go to the word. So we're seeing here again and again and again, Jesus, look to Jesus, look at his example and look at his teaching and your life will be more blessed. It will be more abundant but especially he's an example when it comes to marriage. You know, it was, it's in John 3.29 that John the Baptist calls him the bridegroom. And says, you know, marriage is not about the groomsman. The spotlight is on the bridegroom. And at this wonderful moment, the bridegroom is being joined to his bride. And the two are no longer two, but a two-some. And... and Everybody begins to think of them as a couple. I don't know about you. I, I it's it's just hard to imagine uh, myself without Lisa, my wife. I mean, it's just a part of my it's a part of my identity. And, and the point here is, as he uses this image to talk about the three year ministry of Christ as being like that day of preparation. For two people who are in love, he says Jesus is passionately and eternally committed to his church, and that means to you. It's no surprise that Jesus coming is compared to a bridegroom coming for his bride in Matthew 25. In in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 2, we know that individually we are betrothed to Christ at our conversion and collectively and eternally we will be joined with him when he returns. And the new Jerusalem will be like a bride adorned for her husband. Now, when we think about marriage, we see Jesus as a model in his devotion According to Ephesians 5.25 and thereabouts, it says that he gave himself up for her. And that's the challenge that we have, men, is if we're going to be the best husband and the best fathers we can be, we need to give ourselves up. As Matthew 16 tells us, we need to, if any man comes after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Take some take some sacrifice. We have to give up who we were in the past to become the person who we can be, who God intended for us to be as servants to him and to our families. So when we look to Jesus, I think one thing we understand, the best part of marriage is it's not just the honeymoon. It's not just the wedding. I know a lot of people just get all excited about the wedding and the beauty surrounding that moment. And it's wonderful. But the best part of marriage is not just the honeymoon. It's not intimacy. It has a place. God uses that to bond us, to have uniquely positive emotions embedded in us so that we are incentivized to work on solutions when we have problems. It would be a lot easier to withdraw and walk away, but that physical relationship brings us back together But what is the best part of marriage? It's giving. And it's growing. I think God intended this relationship to be where a man and woman help each other to grow in Christ-likeness. So marriage can relieve suffering. Yes, it can. But it also renews hearts. And it refines souls. There's something deeply spiritual Going on in our marriages. But I want you to look with me in particular at 1 Peter in chapter 2, where it talks about one specific way that Jesus is an example to us. Listen to these words. First Peter 2:21 For to this you have been called Now this is important. This is what you were called to when you became a Christian. So let's get this let's get this straight in our minds. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Wow. When you think about marriage as an image, it suggests a lot of things. I think the Bible gives us this image for Jesus and his relationship to us because it's the closest relationship that you know during your days on earth. And it speaks of love and it speaks of protection, it speaks of generosity, it speaks of joy, but also more than a little suffering. To this you've been called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. The specific thing it says, we always talk about Jesus as an example, we're supposed to follow in his footsteps, but the specific application is this, are you ready to suffer? What's he talking about when he talks about suffering? He's talking about the pain that you experience when you love someone. That's the kind of suffering that he's talking about here. And you think about Jesus and his disciples. Remember this. Here are those who were closest to him. They debated him. And they denied him. They doubted him. And that involves some suffering. And it's true that in our marriages, sometimes my motives may be questioned by my spouse, my wisdom, my sincerity. And there can be suffering, not just in protecting my spouse from the world, but in our relationship. There may be some misunderstanding. Sometimes there's some mistreatment. I'm not always my best. She's not always her best. What are you going to do when those times come in your marriage? Look to Jesus, who left you an example of what to do. Listen, it says in verse 22 He committed no sin. Now, when you're mistreated, what are you going to do? Don't sin, don't react in an unchristian, in an unloving, in a hurtful way. Don't use this as an excuse, whatever happened to you, as an excuse for irritability or for selfishness. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. So when you're criticized, what are you going to do? Don't criticize. When you're threatened, what are you going to do? Don't seek vengeance. Don't love less. Love more. And this is the example that we have from our Lord. What's he talking about? You know, when you have some kind of spat and there's some problem, some issue, It's easy to let the presenting issue become so important that we misbehave and we say something or we do something that hurts the relationship. Now, what happens with many couples is the relationship, which is fragile, gets so damaged that what would be easy to talk about or a problem that would be easy to solve becomes very, very difficult because of all the baggage And he's saying, don't make things worse because you're hurting. You need to remember, you're going to make some sacrifice, and you're going to support your spouse. You want to protect the relationship. Protect the relationship. Now, here's the key to doing that. He says, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So I don't have to set you straight right now. I can entrust myself to him who judges justly. Okay. I may be misunderstood. I may not like it. But God knows my heart. So I'm going to root our conversation in my security in God's love. And in my desire to please him and do you good. And so if I'm being uh, falsely charged... I don't have to hurt you. I don't have to say ugly things about you. Love always takes the high road. The high road. They say in marriage uh, there are three rings. The three rings of marriage are the engagement ring and the wedding ring and the suffer ring. Now, when it comes to that third ring, I know there are couples who just, they spend their entire marriage inflicting mutual pain on each other. But it doesn't have to be that way. There's a unique kind of suffering that we're involved in. It's the suffering that Jesus demonstrates here, that he gave us an example to follow. And that's the kind of suffering that you experience when you really, really want to do good to someone, but sometimes you fall short, and you have a little disappointment. Yesterday was the one-year anniversary of my wife's father passing. He was, a, he was a wonderful man. Colonel Gail Hearn died in the workroom at the church building as an elder in his 80s, keeping on keeping on they went over to the cemetery yesterday so uh, I gave my wife a card I was over here so I I put a card with her to open when she gets there and to uh, tell her how much I appreciate her dad and all he had done for me as an example and as an encouragement and I remember a couple of years ago it was Thanksgiving we're sitting at the table at Thanksgiving And we're talking about marriage. And he was reminiscing about a very painful moment in his life some 50 years earlier. Still could remember it. You could see it on his face. We have some of those memories, don't we? He says, you know, I remember I was over in Japan. He's in the Air Force. And his wife... 22 years old, a southern lady from a small town outside of Alexandria, Louisiana, with a babe in arm, a few months old, just enough formula to get across the ocean. She's on a flight for 30 hours, arriving from her small town, tiny little town in Louisiana, arriving in Tokyo, doesn't speak a word of Japanese, Uh, out of formula, uh, ready to be picked up, and no one was there. Fifty years later, I can tell (laughs) it still brings him pain because he wasn't there for her. And, you know, some men will say they're sorry, But they offer weak apologies rather than doing the work of change. But for Gail Hearn, he learned. And through that pain, became a better husband. And you see, that's the challenge that we have in our marriages. What kind of pain is there? There is the pain of forbearing when you've been wronged of forgiving, like Jesus who said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. There's the pain of being patient with people in their spiritual growth and in the growth of your relationship. There are the great pains that we go to to know somebody, to know them, what makes them laugh and and what brings them tears. And one thing that we have to do if we're going to be committed to following in the example of Jesus, is we have to determine that we're willing to suffer for those that we love. He's our example. And that's why it's important for you to become a Christian. You see, if I'm going to be the best husband ever, it's going to begin with being a Christian. God commands it, but love, love demands it. What happens when you become a Christian? Well, the blood of Jesus forgives your sin, but here's the other thing, the teachings of Jesus. The teachings of Jesus are going to keep you from continuing to repeat the things that you have done in the past that bring pain into the lives of others. So the teaching of Jesus transforms our minds and our lives and our destinies. Do not be conformed to the kinds of husbands you see in this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The quality of my thinking produces the quality of my life, and that includes my married life. So if I will start thinking unselfishly, if I will start thinking responsibly, if I will start thinking graciously, then I will be blessed. I remember the words of JFK. That's probably not a great example to use in a sermon about fathers and marriage, but... uh, Don't just ask what your wife can do for you, but what you can do for your wife and for your children. Make that your goal so that when her heart beats in your chest, the rhythm of love is going to bring more joy than you have ever known in the past. But be careful. Because if you cannot feel her heart, you're suffering from a hard heart. If you're here this morning and you need to be a Christian, it's the greatest thing that you'll ever do for yourself, but the greatest thing you'll ever do for your family. When you come out of the waters of baptism, you are a new man. And the teachings of Jesus will make you a great man. So I want to encourage you, husband or wife, man or woman, young or old, look to Jesus. All the blessings, all the answers are there. And you're going to find him in the waters of baptism. And unless and until you're baptized, you're not following him. You don't have forgiveness. So I encourage you. Why not make today the day that you come? Won't you come as we stand and sing?